I also grew up Christian, not Catholic. My parents were Christian. My grandparents were Christian. It's kind of like all I knew. In high school is kind of when I started to question things. I was on Reddit a lot. That's how every <laughs> bad story starts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on Reddit, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like ex-Christian subreddits. There's like the atheist subreddit. I was just like kind of like fed up. Like the only reason I believe these things is because of my parents. Like it's it's because of the culture that I was raised in. What if I was just raised Buddhist? Then that's what I would believe.、Like、it has so much to do with geography, and so that that's when I was like, it doesn't really make sense to be Christian anymore. But I was sort of like wrestling with it still. Then I went to college, and I found like a church. I didn't really want to go to church. I think that like subliminally, like my parents had kind of like instilled this like, oh, you need to find a church. And I was just like,、oh, all right, like I'll find. I'll just like. See see how it is. Just like find community. That's when I first chose for myself, like what I wanted to believe. You are now listening to the Next Iteration podcast with your hosts Fuad and Damian. If you like the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Next Generation podcast. Today's episode is with a good friend of ours, Joseph Choi. Joseph's worked on a ton of cool things, including founding TechPod, a community for students interested in tech, as well as a couple of political campaigns, including one with Andrew Yang. Our conversation today co- covers a ton of ground, including the state of American politics, Andrew Yang and universal basic income, religion and the internet, how psychedelics may have influenced religion, and finally, his work with TechPod and founding a community of business students interested in tech. Um, so without further ado, here's the episode. Wow, thanks so much for the intro. It's great to be here, finally be here. I I've been listening to you guys for a long time.、Um, so, yeah, can't wait. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. And、uh, like you said, it's been a long time coming. And with this, the pantheon of podcast guests slash LinkedIn friends continues to grow. <laughs> so we'll see where、uh, this heads in. But yeah, so. Man, we have honestly just in like we have a couple of topics lined up, and just even something along the lines of politics or just along the lines of spirituality, we could have two-hour conversations alone on those topics. But oh yeah, <laughs> we'll try to get to the juicy bits just off the bat. And I know Fuad,、um, he he has much、uh, more. He has a greater breadth of experience within the political realm. So I know he would love to ask you some more politically oriented questions. So、I'll、let him take the reins there. And by breadth, he means. I have this on my desk. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs>、um, no, but、um, in all seriousness,、um, yeah. One of the things we really wanted to hear your thoughts on was kind of、um, you know your thoughts on like the state of American politics right now,、um, and you know a bunch your positions on a bunch of different issues and like kind of how those positions were informed from your time in tech and like you know living in the Bay Area and things like that. But you know, for the uninitiated. Give us an intro on the work you've done in politics and what kind of got you into politics. Yeah, yeah, great question.、Um, I, I kind of hated politics、um, a couple years ago. I really did not want to get into it. I, I never would have seen myself、um, into it,、uh, like to the level that I am now.、Um, and like all my friends tell me that all the time. They're like, "Wow, like can could." Did you imagine yourself like like this like five years ago? And I'm always like, no, definitely not.、Um, like, I think the the first time I was like very aware of like politics in general was 2016. Obviously, like that was like a really like weird election,、um, and but it was also like very toxic. Like that was the first time I was introduced to just like just people like outright like hating each other、um, because of politics、mm-hmm. and. That really like turned me off to it,、um, but still, it was like kind of a surface level understanding of like, oh, people are just yelling at each other and calling each other names, and it seems like nothing is really,、um, you know, being like it's not productive.、Um, but then I think later on,、um, the first time I got introduced to Andrew Yang, which I'll be talking about more, is、mm-hmm. um, I was scrolling through YouTube, and I was just kind of like. In a rabbit hole of,、um, uh, just kind of like I, I th- they call themselves like intellectual dark web people,、um, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like an unofficial group of like people、um, who just 
like to have basically just like to have discussions on the internet and mm-hmm. they're uh one of the one of these people who is kind of like a part of this is ben shapiro and ben shapiro is like a super super conservative guy he's known for his youtube headlines like ben shapiro destroys like liberal student in yeah. argument on campus and it's just like <laughs> like his, his old his whole image is to basically just like put down other people um mm-hmm. and you know i saw the the headline of this like uh youtube video and it said like ben shapiro interviews uh democratic candidate andrew yang and i had no idea this was like way back in the 2019 when there were like 20 different um democratic candidates um mm-hmm. in the primary and i saw that oh wait there's an asian guy running for president that's like really weird and then i saw that okay well he's also a democrat so he's asian and he's a democrat and he's um interviewing uh with ben shapiro who's quite the opposite of all those things in in many respects and so i was like <laughs> so I, I like clicked on the video i was like all right this is gonna be good um and it it was good it was good in a, in a different way than i was expecting like it was by the end of the interview um ben shapiro like respected yang a ton and he he even like changed his mind on a lot of things and the way that happened was just like he, like andrew yang he he just had this way of um like not judging like like he he seemed to go into the conversation with just the intent of hearing the other person and having mm-hmm. uh, a good debate and he had str- he has strong beliefs himself it's not like he's um like a push like backing down or just kind of being wishy-washy but he just had a way of really being data driven and really being like trying to be empathetic and um but also like optimistic in his approach to politics i think a lot of people are, like doom and gloom because like fear sells um mm-hmm. and that's true in politics and just in everything in general like fear just sells but i think he has like this um idealistic optimistic lens of you know we can make we can do this a better way um he, he wants to play fair, but he, and he wants to do good at the same time. So I think like my personality type as, you know, someone who's like very optimistic and um, uh, idealistic, I, I was drawn to that because I really believe that um, things can be done in a positive way. So after that interview, I was like, this guy needs to be president. It wasn't just like, uh, this is the best, this is probably like the best democratic candidate out of all of these choices and he's like 30% better. It was like, this guy like needs to be in some position of influence, like, like, mm-hmm. no, like no matter like what it is, like if it's president or whatever, like his ideas, just this whole idea of, um, of uh, just unity and love and justice and peace. And like, I, I just um, really resonated with that. And mm-hmm. uh, his like whole humanity first slogan uh, I saw that he like really lived that out um, in the things that he did. But yeah, I could I could talk about this as you can tell for like probably three hours. So I'll stop myself. <laughs> no, I think it was a that was a great story. Like it's it's so cool how you know sometimes you think of these like YouTube rabbit holes as like a complete waste of time or like something that does like exacerbate the existing polarization. And like you know while both of those can be true in a lot of instances especially the first instance i've definitely spent my fair share of time you know just wasting away in youtube rabbit holes um it's pretty cool to see that like that was like kind of the catalyst for your interest in political work and like you know like the sky's the limit like who knows what you know you might end up doing in the world of politics and like it's kind of cool to see like that one clickbaity you know the title that clickbaits are like dream of (laughs) with ben shapiro and andrew ng the democratic candidate um, kind of attracted you to that world in the first place. So that's that's pretty cool to hear. Um, I think you mentioned um, sort of that, you know, like the, in the 2016 elections, there was a lot of polarization. It was the first time you're kind of exposed to the, the concept that like people could hate each other just on the basis of their politics and, you know, spread so much divisiveness. And I guess, you know, that's sort of been a trend in the world of politics, especially in the U.S. with, you know, the rise of populism and the rise of like, you know, these these two seemingly completely different factions that you know end up very close together on a lot of the same issues like 99 percent of the time but for some reason that one percent 
you know, of divisiveness gets magnified and magnified and magnified. And people are so, so polarized these days. And I was actually reading a really interesting book called Good Economics for Hard Times by Paul Krugman and Abhijit Banerjee. Highly recommend the read, by the way. And in it, basically, they discuss, you know, a ton of different economics issues. And like, sorry, this is a little bit long winded, but I'm getting to the question. Um, and in it, they basically discuss like a ton, ton of different policy issues and how that relates to politics and how a lot of those policy issues have been like, you know, politicized where, you know, they're not really political issues and both sides of the aisle kind of agree on them already. Um, and so um, my question to you is, what about Andrew Yang do you think is lending um, sort of like an antithesis to this divisiveness um, and more of like an objective reality as, as objective as, you know, can be in the world of politics? Mm, yeah, good question. Hmm. So clearly, like the results are there. Like w when you looked at um, the, the polling numbers, like his campaign was the one that drew the most former Trump supporters over to his campaign. So he actually had the most diverse audience mm -hmm. in terms of um, like just political spectrum. Um, and he was kind of uniting. And yeah, like I saw it in my personal life too, like people who I who I knew, especially people like in Asian American community who previously did not want to vote or people who even were not Asian, but just didn't like voting in general. Now mm -hmm. we're like excited about this guy. And I don't know, part of it was just the fact that he's like a normal dude. He's just like, he just talked like a normal person. Um, yeah. He didn't try to, like he didn't have political consultants or anything. Like he had his campaign manager, but he just like talked like a normal person. He's very pragmatic. Uh, in the way that he like explains his ideas um, mm -hmm. and I think um, one of I, I watched this other video where uh, this guy went to one of his rallies and it was this former like Republican um, who was kind of fed up with the two-party system and he was listening to this Yang rally and he he just kind of like he he was very appreciative um and he pointed out the fact that you know andrew you're the first democrat i've ever talked to who i don't feel judged by um and i think wow i think that's very like that was that really resonated with me uh even though you know i was raised pretty liberal um like my parents are both um fairly democratic like I, I, I still have felt that. Like, I still feel like, and it's not just the Democrat things. I think it's a both sides thing that um, it's just the judgment um, that, you know, you're like these, like when you get down to the bottom of it, politics is basically just um, a bunch of people working together in an organization in order to help the most amount of people as possible. And like, mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing bad about that. There, there shouldn't be a toxic um, if you just want to, you know, we're just trying to help as many people as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And some, but sometimes like you care so deeply about that because it's such a human issue. Like, of course, everyone wants to help people. Um, sometimes you care so deeply about that, that you like attach your identity to it. And then you can turn, um, you can turn that into, you know, shame when other people don't believe the same things. Um, so they mm -hmm. like the, the end goal is the same for everyone. I think it's just that like the way that you get there is different. And mm -hmm. it's, it's like, in my opinion, the, the way that you fix politics, not, not the way they fix, like, I don't know how to fix politics, but the, like a, a value <laughs> that I hold is, is to, um, is to be non-judgmental and just to really try to understand the other side. Yeah. I, that, I think that's great advice. Like, I like how you kind of took it back to first principles. And that's something Damon and I are like a huge advocate of for sure is, you know, what is politics purpose? And like, why do people even get involved in politics and trying to center the conversation around that kind of helps you reframe a lot of the things that people do. And as long as you're doing it from that place of, you know, a, an organization of people trying to help the most amount of people, I think, yeah. And like that, that does run the risk of things like populism and things like that, where, you know, majority decision might overrule like a minority decision and things like that but at the end of the day like coming from a place of compassion i think is something that a lot of people should center on and so i guess moving forward in that conversation uh what things 
do you think will change about the U.S. political realm in in the coming years? So you mentioned like the two party system, which I think a lot of people have, you know, kind of arrived at the conclusion that that isn't really serving the United States. Here in Canada, we actually have we don't have a two party system. We have pretty much three parties. There's uh, like a couple other parties as well, but they're not really they're kind of like the Green Party or the independents in the U.S., but three major political parties, which is something that's you know quite starkly different from the United States. Um, so that's one example. Um, and, you know, there's there's the electoral college system, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, basically a lot of different things that the U.S. Uh, like political system is getting wrong. So how do you envision that changing? Um, and do you think that will change like moving forward? Mm, yeah. Um, I, I don't I have no idea if the two party system will ever change, but um I mean, there's concrete policies that help that, like ranked choice voting, for example. Um, a lot of other countries already have ranked choice voting. It's not like a crazy concept. It's just a, a better, um, it's just a different way of voting where you where you rank your choices instead of just choosing one person. So then um, like when like when when all the math works out, it on average it, it helps um, like third party and like minority um uh, or like independent candidates um, that have, have more of a fighting chance um, in elections. So like that's one policy that can help to create. Um, and, and some of the states have, it. I think Maine has it and a couple other states. So that's like a policy that could help. Um, but as far as just change in general, like this future of the United States politics, <laughs> I don't know, I might be the wrong person to ask about such a deep question, but um, like, <laughs> in general i'm hopeful that um people so i so like i think that donald trump kind of started this movement of um making people wake up to the fact that there's like people just have so much distrust in institutions um institutions in general so like government but also you know like big tech and like big corporations and like how corporations interact with government so i think people just have like a massive distrust in institutions you can look at like trend graphs and everything like trust american trust in institutions is at an all-time low people used to like like be okay with the government now it's um, like i don't know like the majority of people don't like the government in general um and i think i think you you, you know you need to have problems in order for there to be solutions so in a in a way like i think that um certain movements like revealing these the you know revealing um you know these certain movements i think are symptoms of of the deeper issue which is just you know distrust in institutions and the just economic problems um and I don't know if the two-party system will change, but I think these movements do um, affect real change. Like for example, Bernie in 2016, he lost the, the primary election to Hillary Clinton, but he came really close. He, he started a huge movement. All these people were inspired, all these young people especially. And a lot of those people, uh, like those volunteers who volunteered for him in 2016, ran for Congress two years later in 2018 and are now in congress like aoc and the squad and all these people um were you know they had no power like a couple of years ago but bernie like inspired this movement even if he didn't win the presidency he inspired this movement and one of the people he inspired was andrew yang andrew yang actually ran because he was inspired by the bernie movement and um so i don't know i see things like that and i think i think there's hope um like i think andrew um, is another movement that I think will inspire more people to to run in politics uh, who who have these values of of unity and and all these things I'm talking about. So um, I I don't know what the future looks like exactly, but I think these movements like really do matter. Um, even if even if you don't win the presidency or you know you don't win a congressional seat, I think just the movement itself creates a lot of energy that kind of shifts how people think about politics. Yeah, so kind of just building on that, right? Um, just the, I mean, there's actually, this touches on a couple of points that you made, like economic troubles, um, 
addressing problems that exist and building solutions from that and just starting movements, right? So one of the major points that Andrew Yang makes, and this is one of the things that I'm actually really interested in his platform is this idea of a universal basic income. Now, this is a very polarizing topic for a lot of people. And it's, it's a really interesting conversation because on one hand, you know, people are all for it. Like there have been pilot studies where they have debuted uh, UBI in a couple areas. And for the most part, it seems like despite people's concerns that people are, are gonna just take the money and oh, I'm so sorry, this is my garage, they're opening down there. But um, despite people's concerns that um, the individuals who will be getting this UBI are gonna take it and just spend it on alcohol, on drugs, just debauchery it seems that a lot of them are actually using that as a safety net and they're able to with confidence knowing that their rent is going to be paid for go out and apply for jobs and go out and just really try and you know seize their life back on the other hand some people are saying you know this is a slippery slope to socialism you promise people $500 a month and the next candidate comes over and promises $600 a month you know, and it's obvious who's going to be getting the more popular vote in that case, right? So what is your position on UBI? Like, do you think that we're headed towards a world where UBI is going to be commonplace? Or do you think there's going to be some other form of, I don't know, fiscal restitution, I guess, that can take its place? Mm. Yeah, I think Andrew himself, explains it much better than I do but one of the things he says is that like the capitalism socialism uh, dichotomy is like it's a false dichotomy um, there's there's like and they're not very descriptive terms either like I think what people are scared of when they hear socialism is the government controlling the money and controlling the way that it's used and when people are afraid of capitalism they're really afraid of huge corporations being monopolistic and making the you know and that's not actually capitalism either that's that's just like you know that's not an efficient uh market so um i think ubi it tries to solve both of those problems by giving the money directly to the people i think people have this idea like oh like you know these other people you know if if these people get money, um, you know, they're, they're just going to spend it on drugs or they're just going to waste it. Um, but it's, but when you ask people directly, Hey, if I gave you a thousand dollars a month, what would you do with it? Nobody says, Oh yeah, I'm just going to go out and waste it. Like it's always, <laughs> it's, it's always like the other people, you know, those other people are going to waste it. So <laughs> I think um, regardless of the policy, I think at the core of it is just the belief, like the core belief of like UBI is that people know how to best improve their own situation more than any government mm -hmm. um, or any corporation like knows how to do that. Um, so whether it's UBI or just cash relief, like we already have social programs, like we have food stamps, we have welfare, mm -hmm system that you know if you fall below a certain income level you get benefits from the government ubi is basically just saying like let's take out all that bureaucracy and no more you know instead of saying you know you have to be a certain level under this uh income level under this um you know poverty line then you get the money it's no matter what just as a human right um or just as a right of being a citizen of the u.s you get to have a safety net and you will not be in poverty. Um, and no matter how rich you get, you, you're not going to lose that benefit just as, just as a fundamental human right that you don't deserve to starve if we have enough resources in the world to be able to take care of you. Um, so whether that's through UBI or through some other policy, I think that's like the, the belief that, you know, mm -hmm. nobody, should, nobody should go hungry if the country is wealthy enough to afford it. Yeah, I think at its center, it's like kind of the refutation of the whole like myth of the invisible hand, right? And like trickle down economics with like, mm -hmm. you know, things being like misallocated and, and like, I, I like how you worded that, like, who is the other here? 
Because if you ask anyone, there's always another other. There's always like, oh yeah, those people, they don't know how to spend their money. And <laughs> you ask those people, they're like, yo, honestly, if I got the money, I would pay my rent off. So I think it's those people. And like, who are those people? And at the end of the day, like those people are are either non-existent or an extremely, extremely tiny minority of people, right? So um, yeah, I think same question where, you know, there's a lot of like studies that show that um the best way to give to the needy in your in your own communities is to just give people money like not to donate to charities not to donate to food banks like nothing like literally just to give people your money as you walk across on the street right and and that's like we've kind of established this like myth that like yeah people waste money and things like that but it's it's nice to like really question those assumptions and say hey like dollar per dollar welfare for welfare like what effect is this money gonna have and i think ubi is one of those issues where it's pretty hard to debate you know some of the the cold hard research that's been done on that so yeah cool. and like joseph kind of mentioned um, like people know what yeah. they need if they have to choose between you know alcohol or making rent i'm pretty sure most people would prefer a roof over their heads in those instances right also just if anybody's listening just the audio version of this this is kind of the reason why you got to hop onto the youtube clip we just saw, I don't know if it was Joseph's roommate, who that was. That's some, <laughs> shout out to the random shirtless dude in the back. that just killed me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good. So yeah. do you, oh, I think you wanted to ask um, a question about data policy, right? Do you want to follow up with that? Yeah. Yeah. Real quick before we move on to sort of like religion and spirituality. Although honestly, we've been talking for a while. This is already a full feature length episode. Thank you so much. Joseph. <laughs> uh, you, you really take the work out of it, but uh I was, you know, obviously as one does, I took the liberty of stalking you on LinkedIn. And I noticed that like, you know, um, your time at Humanity Forward, you mentioned that you worked on a couple congressional campaigns that were sponsored and endorsed by Humanity Forward. Um, And notably, you also mentioned that those campaigns kind of like had a message of unity, compassion and data-driven policy. And so, you know, for all the tech heads, which is like honestly a big portion of the people that listen to our podcast, can you talk to us a little bit more about what data-driven policy means to you and why data-driven policy is important? And sort of as an extension, what is the relationship between, you know, policy and tech? Mm, mm, yeah. Um, okay, so there's, I feel like there's actually two things here. There's data-driven policy, which is just saying like policy that's driven by the data that that we have. But then there's mm-hmm. also like, data privacy laws which is a different debate which is like you know how how should big corporations like treat our data how should the government treat our data um so data-driven policy the first one for me that just means like um policy that's it's kind of just a given like we shouldn't have to say that this is data-driven policy but the policies that we implement should be informed by the data that we have for example um like we have lots of data on <clears throat> the effectiveness of uh, wealth tax. This is just like a, one example. Um, like in, in all the countries that it's been implemented in, in, um, in Europe, um, mm-hmm. like the wealth tax doesn't actually generate um, as much money and uh, from, from the super wealthy as the value added tax would. Um, and you know, a lot of these European countries has like have have both. They have a value-added tax and they have the wealth tax. And the problem with politics is that sometimes it's like rhetoric-driven. And like the wealth tax, just like think about how that sounds. Like, hey, we need to tax the wealthy. Like that's something that like, you know, you can build a populist movement around that um, because everyone like yeah, people want to tax the wealthy. It's, it has this like it has this like energy to it, um, but when you look at the numbers, like it's not really backed by data, like the value added tax is another type of tax that it still taxes the wealthy. It just does it in a different way that's more efficient. Um, and this is just, you know, there, there's debate about this. I'm not saying it definitively, but um, you know, a lot of the data does show um, that. You know. So basically uh, <laughs> data-driven policy is just, hey, let's, let's ignore, let's try to, let's try to put aside like the emotions that come with with these things and just look at the data and see which ones are actually effective um and then uh you, you're talking about like t- the tech industry which i think is kind of a different issue it's like um data privacy so another way an interesting way to think about ubi if it's funded by 
uh, the value added tax. So value added tax would uh, actually like take a lot of uh, like a disproportionate amount of money from um, like big tech companies um, that profit from automation. So like automation is, you know, it's like every, every few century, every like 50 years or so we have an industrial revolution. You know, the first industrial revolution was, um, I don't remember, like steam or, or something like that. And then, you know, there's like all these different like technological advances that produce an industrial revolution, like a huge um, um, like burst in economic out output, um, which is always a good thing, like it advances society. But then it also, uh, you know, the nature of automation is basically you're replacing labor with like machines. Um, and in this new automate wave of automation and like AI, you're replacing all these truck driving jobs and manufacturing jobs and service uh, like call center jobs. Um, and because of that, like how rapid that is, um, these companies, these tech companies are making tons and tons of money from our data, which is, you know, the data is the oil of the 21st century. It's what powers the AI, kind of like how oil powers these machines. Um, if these massive tech companies are profiting so much by the gains from automation, then they should be compensating those people who, who are being put out of work. Um, so that's like what data uh, is like, it's kind of, when you think about like data policy, that's that's one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. And I think like a natural extension of that, because, you know, they are seemingly like separate like issues, but also like, you know, if we're going to make data policy, what data is that policy based on? And what, to what extent can different data that is, you know, in existence, because there's a lot of data out there, mm -hmm. um, be used to make those policy decisions. And I think, yeah, I, I mean, I don't pretend to know the answers and I'm sure, you know, nobody really does, but it's, it's just such an interesting conversation. And I think, it it's good that it's being more brought into the limelight almost you know with these congressional hearings and things like that and like you know the lionization and demonization of these tech you know ceos and things like that which who like you know by and large would stand to lose from something like a value-added tax or a wealth tax mm -hmm. um so yeah i think it's, yeah. it's just an interesting discussion and i think it also ties back to the idea i guess just in to kind of succinctly wrap it up is if you can measure it you can manage it like we had to figure out like the areas that are that aren't dis delivering as much value as it potentially could be and figuring out or doubling down on the areas that are um and then again like you get to kind of hone in on uh, a better more optimized delivery of whatever it is you're doing um so yeah i mean i definitely wanted to touch i mean just to pivot the conversation a bit so we asked joseph you know what are some things that he would uh, would want to talk about particularly and in our longevity episode, I mentioned my, I guess, lack of uh, religious leaning. Now, I don't know if Joseph is here to cancel me or to celebrate me, but we're about to find out. So, Joseph, I want to ask you, <laughs> what does, I'm going to say spirituality and um, just put religion under that umbrella, but what does spirituality mean to you and the work that you're doing right now? Yes. Please don't um... cancel me. <laughs> I'm not here to cancel you. I when I heard that um, <laughs> comment in in the longevity episode, I actually was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" Like, I need to talk. To, I I need to have a follow up conversation with Damien about this, because um, I think like you just mentioned that, like you kind of like grew up. Was it Catholic? Yeah. So you like you grew up more Catholic because of your parents, and then you yeah. kind of like had this shift where you where you don't. Um, where you're still like somewhat spiritual but you don't really like I, I think it was something about like you don't you don't really um vibe with the way that it's like very structured and like black and white um correct me if i'm wrong yeah i mean just to give a bit more context to mine is that um like you said i grew up devoutly catholic i'm trying to like speak a little quieter now so yeah, who knows who's listening right but um, the loss of yeah. years <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh, um but yeah i grew up devoutly catholic and you know that's all you really know um when you grow up in that environment because that's all that you're being taught um grew up in a, uh, went to catholic school as well right and it took 
then leaving that environment, going into university where I was introduced to new ideas, new POVs. And it was the first time that I was really in a position to even reconsider my my religious stance. Mm -hmm. Because up until that point, I just took it as a given. Like I took it as truth. And um, that's how I lived my life. So I started to explore that a bit more. I put myself in more conversations with people who would challenge that my perspective on things. And then eventually I just got to a point where I think I can say now that like, I'm pretty atheistic. Um, again, saying that pretty quietly. Hopefully nobody heard that. But um, I that's where I've gone. And not to say that there's no value in religion because like I tr- 100% kind of being able to be on both sides of that conversation now mm-hmm. I see where the value is for both sides um so that's just kind of where I'm at right now so yeah like if you want to dig into a little more as to where you stand on that I resonate with that story a lot like I think I grew up I also grew up Christian not Catholic but um my mm-hmm. parents were Christian my grandparents were Christian it's kind of like all I knew um and in high school is kind of when I started to question things. Um, and I was on Reddit a lot. And I oh, was... no. <laughs> That's how every bad story starts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on Reddit. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like ex-Christian subreddits. There's like the atheist subreddit. And in general, just like, even if it has nothing to do with religion, just the, the fact that there's so many different points of view um, and different types of people who believe different things on Reddit. Um, I remember I, I was really active in um, change my view, r slash change my view. Basically, yeah. it's just, you just um, you just post an opinion that you have and why you believe that. And then people in the comments just like try to change your view. Um, and I like that, that kind of that subreddit kind of like encapsulates like my sophomore year of high school where I just I was just like kind of like fed up with not exactly fed up it wasn't like an antagonistic kind of uh attitude but it was just like you know why why am i believing all these things that people like the only reason i believe these things is because of my parents like it's it's because of the culture that i was raised in if i was if i was born in in you know I don't know, like a different country. Like, what if I was just raised Buddhist? Then that's what I would believe. Like, you know, it has so much to do with geography and, like, so that that's when I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be. It doesn't really make sense to be Christian anymore. But I was sort of like wrestling with it still. Um, then I went to college and I found like a church. I didn't really want to go to church, but um, I think that like subliminally, like my parents had kind of like instilled this like. Oh, you need to find a church and then i was just like oh, all right like i'll find i'll just like see see how it is just like find community and that's yeah. that's actually when i now now this is where my story kind of like diverges from yours it's like that's when i found like that's when i first chose for myself like right. what i wanted to believe and um i i i found community and i really felt like oh this is like these these beliefs that I believed growing up were um, a, a lot of it was influenced by culture, Western culture, especially like when you think about it, like Christianity came out of the Middle East. And I'm, I'm pretty sure like the people in the Middle East who believe in Christianity are have pretty different culture from like American culture. So like the cult, even the culture just like changes how 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 exactly people like uh carry out that belief but um uh, i don't even okay this this story is like getting a little bit off topic but um <laughs> basically <laughs> um after that like my freshman year um i i still questioned a lot of things um and i've been questioning things for the past like three years ever since my freshman year i'm a i'm a senior now in college and um i i think i've just been through this process of separating the spirituality from the religion um Mm. like in my in my view religion is the structure that is built around the spirituality and when i say spirituality i don't just mean like the values 
Like, I think that, so like, if you ask me like what I believe now, I believe in Christ. Like, I don't, I don't, I would actually hesitate to call myself a Christian just because of that word. Like that word just has so many connotations in, in like Western culture with just like hating gay people and just like all these like really whack, like crazy beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think that, yeah, that's, so I, I, I believe in Christ. Like I believe that um, in the principles of, and I, actually this relates a lot to Andrew Yang, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, there's, you know, I believe in these things like forgiveness and unconditional love and acceptance and unity and um grace and forgiveness and like all these things that christ you know this this physical like real like historical documented guy like jesus like he he taught all these things and like i think that christ and jesus is a very good framework that i personally use um which i fully recognize is because of the way i was brought up um to express um my spirituality um Hmm. and like the the values that i hold so um yeah yeah that's a really interesting point separating spirituality from the religion so that i mean it's interesting because it's a pov i haven't really heard before but is that like some of these religious figures and even in you saying that you believe in christ is it more so that do you believe in Christ, the biblical figure, or you believe in Christ, like the symbol, like what Christ represents? I, I believe both. I think, I think a lot of emphasis on religion is focused on like the metaphysics of it. Like, well, like, does Jesus, did Jesus really raise from the dead? Did he really do these miracles? Did, you know, do you really go to heaven and, or hell? Like after you die, like this, this there, it's a very like metaphysical like conversation that honestly doesn't have very many real world implications. I think, I think it doesn't matter. Like my answer is it doesn't really matter. Um, Personally, I haven't come to any real conclusions um, about like, this is, this is how it is. I think like the point of religion is to hope for something like everyone hopes for something, right? Like Mm -hmm. people, you know, believe that oh there's probably uh there's probably no like afterlife or like magical place that you go after you die but you know i'm i'll stay open to it maybe it'll happen maybe it won't i think that's how i'm i am too like as a christian like i like i i don't know like what's gonna happen after we die but i think i i have faith and like another word for faith and like in my opinion is like hope so i hope and i have faith that um, you know, there's there's something transcendent, and we're more than just space monkeys like floating on a rock. Too, you know, like yeah. I I'm, I hope that there's more than that, uh, and then and then there's deeper meaning behind all these things, um, and that's just like my approach to life. So, um, I don't remember what your original question was, but that's that's my thought. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that was it was a beautiful answer, and just to kind of keep that train going is that like so back when I was just like devoutly religious as well like that was where some of the real value that I was able to gain out of religion was in that it feels like in so many instances of our lives we are just utterly powerless like there we as human beings have only finite control over the things that happen in life and for the many many areas that are beyond that control it's comforting that there's someone that we can place our hopes in and that we can appeal to, um, I guess for lack of a better way to say that, um, to kind of help us out, you know, like in, like whenever things are going wrong in life um, and then those things that are beyond your control, just to, you know, pray to, uh, pray to this religious or this superordinate principle, um, to pray to this God, I guess, that they can take care of our problems for us, that they can help us out. And it's it's comforting. It gives you strength. It gives you that willpower to keep pressing forward when times get incredibly adverse. And, you know, that's, it's such a beautiful thing. And beautiful things come from religion too. Like you said, you know, like some people 
can demonize religion as like this homophobic culture or um, things that, you know, they don't really put their money where their mouth is. There's a lot of hateful Christians out there too. But on the flip side of that, there's a lot of people who do beautiful thing in God's names. You know, they go out of their way. They devote their entire lives to this vocation of helping other people out. And as far as that goes, like that, we definitely need religion in the world for that. You know, like it's not everybody is the same. Like we are all so different, so unique. And by virtue of that, you know, like whatever it takes to get everybody moving in the same direction, if we can all collaborate and if it's religion is what that takes, then so be it. You know what I mean? Like as long as there's no hate in the world, as long as we're not attacking each other, um, yeah, does that directly tie into like the values that you've gained through religion though? Does that directly tie into the work that you're doing with within the political sphere? Yeah, I actually I'm gonna pull up this doc because so a couple of <clears throat> a couple of weeks or months ago, um, I was talking to this friend who volunteered with me in Yang Gang. Um, and um, one of the conversations we were having, this so this person was like formerly Catholic. Um, and they are now atheists, um, but and they're really dedicated to Yang Gang and really um, believe in those values. And they're kind of asking me, like they knew that I was Christian, and they they're asking me like, why are you still Christian? Um, like, what do you, what do you what do you talk about in church? And so, uh, because like and they're like, because like the stuff that I talk about in church is, you know, not not like the stuff that it sounds like you're talking about right now um and you know it, it's it's been a much more negative experience for me and um so i answer that question with this doc which i'm searching for <laughs> but basically um here it is finally hopefully we can edit this but um, I, I came up with this answer and this is kind of like ties, this ties in really closely with um, just like what I feel like my purpose in the world is and um, by extension, like why I dedicated so much of my attention and energy to um, Andrew Yang's campaign. So um, you, I, I, think the, I think the cool thing about Jesus is that he was a movement maker like purely because like he was the epitome of perfection that we can only imagine. Like, you know how, so like, uh, I don't know if you read like Plato or like have this, uh, like he has this theory of forms. So he, it's basically this concept that like no one has ever seen a perfect circle or like a perfectly straight line or like, like the table that you see on your desk right now, like this table is like an imperfect version of what, what a transcendent like real table looks like and nobody right. has ever seen like a perfect version of these things um but uh, i don't know if plato was christian he probably wasn't but you know you have faith that there exists somewhere out there in the in the sixth dimension or the millionth dimension that a perfect version of the universe exists um and some other people would call that heaven right and right. um and and jesus kind of like spread this message that there is this you know he he was the he was perfection in human form um god in human form and i i, I just think it was like amazing how this movement of love and hope um just spread so rapidly it was like a viral it was like the original viral post like uh like he like it spread so rapidly from just a single human being and his actions and his words um i think and i think it's because he spoke truth um not truth in the sense that like he, he said the correct things or like the correct rules or like the things that we should do, but, or like doctrine, but that he spoke like a transcendent truth. Um, and like the, those truths are like universal, like loving unconditionally, being hopeful, being sacrificial um, towards the people that you love. Um, and I think, I think if everyone lived like this, like the world would be restored and like i think that's what like atheists call like being a good person like being a good person and to me like being a good person like is like being christ-like like being like jesus um so i think we're it's kind of the same things different words for the same thing um and like being restored 
is like heaven like to me that's heaven like if we were all like christ and we all worked towards these values of being hopeful and being sacrificial and loving like the world would be heaven heaven is not a place that we try to get to it's a place that we try to bring here to earth um and and i think yeah it's not like heaven's not like a place where you try to get to after you die it's a state of the universe that Jesus asks us to bring into existence right now. Um, and I would, uh, I, and here's, here's a, here's, we'll play a game called, um, is this an Andrew Yang quote or a, or a quote from the Bible? So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, it says, um, through all the doubt, the cynicism, the ridicule, the hate and anger, we must fight for the world that is still possible. Imagine it in our minds and hearts and fight for it with all our hearts and spirits. As hands reach out, clutching at our arms, take them and pull them along. Fight through the whipping branches, whipping branches of selfishness and despair and resignation. Fight for each other like our souls depend on it. Climb to the hilltop and tell others behind us what we see and build a, build a society we want on the other side. So obviously that's Andrew Yang. But yeah, that's why obviously, I got obviously, that obviously to me. <laughs> I was about to fail this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is a little too poetic. It feels like it's kind of biblical, but like, obviously it's yeah. Andrew, I was like, obviously. how did he? How did he get this out at a rally? <laughs> no one like interrupted this with cheers. Like... <laughs> it's from his book. It's from his book. Um, more, okay, more normal okay. people, but um, but that's why I got so into Andrew Yang. It's just his his message of hope and unity and love and justice. And I really, um, that's kind of like that whole idea of, of, of believing that a better world is still possible is like how I approach the world. Uh, I think a lot of it intersects with like my faith, but also just like, just these universal beliefs that Yang seems to ha also have a grasp of. For sure. Um, yeah. So I was kind of, uh, kind of like the black sheep in this conversation, I guess, because like I grew up like pretty devoutly Muslim, but it's so interesting to see. And like, I, I, one of the things that I really appreciated is like how you kind of drew that distinction between like the framework versus like the beliefs and like how like, you know, Christianity is kind of like a framework for kind of like portraying those like inner beliefs and inner motivations and things that you wanted. Mm. Um, and I just found that super interesting because like I was able to relate to like literally like the entire conversation that you guys just mm. had, had my like own, you know, um r slash um change my view like phase in high school and like things like that and like kind of kind of coming to terms with you know like what does it mean to be a muslim and i think yeah. um islam like similar to christianity and like the reformation and martin luther and all that islam is going through like sort of like a, a parallel version of that in the sense of reconciling you know some age-old traditions with current beliefs mm. um you know things like homophobia things like you know women's rights and 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 sh stuff like that i pardon the uh pardon the swear word although you know this is a swear friendly podcast um and yeah i was just able to relate to so much of that and i'm actually reading a really really interesting book um and i don't know if you you know partake in the use of psychedelic drugs or not or if you're comfortable with like you know exposing that on a podcast that's you know kind of public but um, the book is called Sacred Knowledge, Psychedelics and Religious Experiences. And it's an extremely, extremely well-researched book. Um, and essentially, you know, what it explores is that human spiritual development has been extremely tied to the use of psychedelic drugs. And a lot of traditions in early Christianity, uh, as well as early Buddhism and, and Hinduism, um, are tied to the use of psychedelic substances. So whether that be like, you know, the wine and bread. Uh, and like psychedelic beers and things like that um, and how you know there seem to be recurrent themes like between people and different cultures that use psychedelic substances so like whether it's mescaline and, and you know native um, tribes in latin america or you know middle eastern people who you know consume like ergot um, there's a lot of like similar experiences that a lot of um, you know seemingly very very different spirituality kind of like schools of thought um all participated in and they're like at the same time even within these experiences there are certain like themes that are recurring right like the whole concept of selflessness and forgiveness and you know like creating heaven on earth and you know striving to kind of like have something to hope for but also like eliminating the fear of death which is like also one of the basic tenets of religion right like 
everyone's kind of scared of death. And like, it's well documented that people who, you know, do psychedelic um, drugs, like kind of have a, a better approach to thinking of the, you know, their own demise and their own mortality. And in religion, you know, it's kind of paralyzed where, you know, as people get older, they start to become more and more religious, like a lot of the times because, you know, they're closer to death and they want to believe that there's something else and they want to believe that they're part of something bigger. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. I don't know if you're comfortable sharing or Maybe. not, um, <laughs> or, you know, if you've read the book or, you know, if you have any sort of like commentary on that, but yeah, I wanted to just open that discussion. Yeah. I love, I love that you brought this up. I almost like brought it up on, on my own, but what was the book called again? Uh, Sacred Knowledge, Psychedelics and Religious Experiences. A friend of mine uh, recommended it to me. I've been doing it on Audible and honestly, it's, it's very, very good. I'll, I'll send you the link and stuff afterwards yeah yeah sacred knowledge okay that's that's really interesting i i have never done psychedelics personally but i've read i mean i've watched a lot of joe rogan and i've (laughs) I've seen um him talk about it um and (laughs) there's like theories out there that you know you know like the story of moses and the burning bush like moses um was the one who like received the he like climbed up this mountain and then um received the 10 commandments from god um and from from this like burning and there's like this burning bush um that god like appeared in well there's like theories that this burning bush was like an ayahuasca bush mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like moses was just like was just Tripping. you know he was like high and like <laughs> he just like <laughs> he he um had an encounter with god because of the psychedelic effects of that like burning bush um so yeah, there's definitely a lot of like um, intersections between like psychedelics and um, and the way that religions developed over time. And yeah, I think I think it's like I, I was talking to a friend um, a while ago and um, like about like, maybe like two years ago, and this is when I was like first kind of like exploring other ideas and like kind of realizing that other uh, we're all kind of like talking about the same thing with different words. And this person was like very spiritual, but kind of agnostic. Um, and he had done psychedelics and the way he was describing this experience, like really like realizing things that he um, didn't like, like realizing things that he um, needed to fix about his life. Like he needs to, you know, Oh, he needs to like go love this person better. Or he needs to, you know, uh, like fix up like look uh introspect more and think about how he can um uh you know solve it like uh examine his own insecurities and how to treat other people better like all these things because of as a result of the psychedelic trip and like the way he was talking about it um just reminded me exactly of like my own experience with just being in church and <laughs> just like worshiping God and having like a, a spiritual experience, mm-hmm. like realizing things and feeling like, you know, whether it's whether you want to call it God communicating with you or um, um, being more in tune with with your inner voice or yourself or with whatever you believe in. Like, I think psychedelics are one way that people um, access that that transcendent you know, thing beyond your own mind, Uh, or if you want to think about it, like getting into like deeper into your own mind um, and giving clarity to yourself. So, yeah, I mean, I think psychedelics are um, a way to access that experience outside yourself. Um, But yeah, haven't, haven't, haven't tried it yet, but yeah. it's definitely interesting i i totally agree with you like i had i had a similar experience like i don't know personally i have and and so has damien if you're ever comfortable with me sharing that you know on the podcast um we're finally doing i'm starting later anyway so i feel like it's inevitable um and yeah i i can totally attest to the fact that you know some of my most religious experiences um have been very very similar to my psychedelic experiences and um it's almost interesting how a lot of like I guess like every religion has like mysticism associated with it in Islam. There's like specifically like Sufis who are um, sort of like more of like the mystical and spiritual side of Islam. Um, 
and I'm sure Christianity has like some, you know some certain sects and parallels to that sect. Um, but it's interesting because like a lot of these aspects of meditation, for example, and um, you know fasting and fasted meditation kind of produce a lot of um, similar kind of neurochemical effects as psychedelic drugs yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and so it stands to reason that like these psychedelic experiences are quite similar to what somebody might experience. And so, you know, it's not that far fetched to say like, you know, if you haven't eaten for two weeks and you're meditating and like for, for hours and hours on end, you would start hallucinating about certain things. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. You know, once, if you, you do decide to, you know, partake in such activities, we'd love to have, you know, maybe a, a, a different discussion on the other side of it, but yeah, thank you for your thoughts. I also sent you the book uh, in our LinkedIn chat, just to um, the EPUB version of it, in case you want to okay. take a read. But yeah, yeah. Um, so I do have to unfortunately get to work, but um, just before I do, yeah, I know we sort of keep the conversation going. Um, I just wanted to just wrap up the conversation with talking about <laughs> tech pod quick because um, I like I've been watching like your growth from like the very early days, and it's been insane seeing that journey. And just the, the amount of value you've been able to deliver to a bunch of people within that tech pod community. And I just, I mean, like I had a couple of questions to ask around that. And I'm, I know Fouad did as well, but just like briefly, first of all, like, why did you start it? Like, why did you feel that there was a need for tech pod? Yeah. Um, yeah. So tech pod is a community of students uh, who are interested in breaking into the business side of the tech industry. And it started with just conversations um, that I was having with people this summer. Um, I'm somewhat of an introvert and I don't really, uh, I, I, I always found like networking to be like very weird and like scary. But the beginning of this summer, I felt like I was kind of forced into it because my internship got turned into remote and there's no way I was gonna meet people in SF. Um, like I was supposed to move to SF for the summer and I was kind of bummed that I wasn't able to. So I just turned to LinkedIn instead. and just like tried to make friends there. And I was just talking to people about their internship experiences or their lack of internship experiences because a lot of people's stuff got canceled or they just weren't able to find something because of um, pandemic. And um, and like, I, I just like started meeting a bunch of people um, and through a lot of my conversations, like people were, seemed to be like pretty curious about my role. So I was, I was a business operations intern at Salesforce and like Salesforce is a B2B SaaS company is a tech company that sells software. And, but my, by my role was like business. It was completely non-technical. And for some reason, like a lot of people just didn't really, I shouldn't say for some reason, there is a reason it's because colleges don't really teach you about this stuff, but like, like they didn't, a lot of people don't realize that you can get into tech companies without being a coder. You don't have to be a software engineer. Um, and people were just really curious about that. So I kept talking about it on LinkedIn. So I would, I would get in these coffee chats with people, which later those coffee chats, you know, turned out to be user interviews, if you want to call it that. Like if you want to think about like a product, like I was hearing the people's problems and, um, and hearing what they wanted. And, you know, and um, so I kept talking about it on LinkedIn, building the audience. And eventually I just decided, okay, well, we should just like make this a, a regular thing that happens like just do weekly events where we invite people who've broken into these roles and just talk about what they do and how they got there um, and have a weekly newsletter where we um, just send out um, these job postings so people know like what to apply to because uh, there's all these like roles that like tech companies like call them they all call them like different things for some reason um, like Salesforce calls it like solution engineer and Google calls it like a solution architect but it's like pretty much the same thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like a resource that we uh, I've been building and just to kind of like raise awareness and to help connect students with opportunities in this field. Because, and if you want to get deeper, like it, I think it kind of stems from my um, kind of like, I don't know, like I, I want to redefine success, if that makes sense. Like I think a lot of business and like non-technical majors have this idea that they have to go into investment banking or consulting, like, cause that's what everyone else is doing and that's what makes the most money. Um, but which is not really true. Like tech, you, you make money in tech too, <laughs> but I, I think people just don't really realize that you can, that you can work in the business side of tech. So 
um, yeah, just trying to like redefine success and um, uh, help people to see that there's other paths out there. Yeah, I love that you're re-envisioning that. Um, I, yeah, like similarly for um, any friends that I have within like the commerce business world, like oh, yeah. I hear the exact same thing. Everyone's buying to be consultants or investment bankers. And, you know, on the flip side of that, I also hear about people who have secured those positions are just miserable. They're putting in right. crazy hours. It's just a lot of stress. Right. And some people thrive in that environment, but a lot of people don't even know what they're getting themselves into going into it. They just yeah. know like they have that um, idea of the prestige behind it and that's what they're chasing that status um, yeah but I, I love that idea of trying to re-envision or reimagine what success means and getting that getting that to more people because I mean like from the success of TechBot, apparently a lot of people resonate with that I don't know how much time you have left Damien but we are missing you know our traditional final question that we ask um, every guest who has come on the show so far Ooh. And I know the, you've been thinking about it, Joseph. I know you've been thinking about you it. You must have prepped it. There's no yeah. way. You listen to our podcast. You must have prepped it. <laughs> um, and the question is, for the uninitiated, if you could put a message on a billboard that would reach millions, even billions of people, and you can stratify this target audience however you want to stratify it, what message would you put on that billboard and why? It's going to have to go with the, with the Yang Yang theme here. But <laughs> I would hashtag Yang Yang. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would i would probably do um the slogan humanity first um i think that just like kind of encapsulates everything that or a lot of like what i value and i think it yeah people just people need to see the humanity in, in other people um um yeah i feel like that'd be a good message that's a great message that's beautiful yeah we've yeah. been keeping up that trend of like the wholesome uh final messages i love oh, yeah. that <laughs> Yeah, no one's being uh, self-serving hashtag uh, listen to my podcast or anything like that. But <laughs> although, you know, if, if I were given the choice, it might be a hard decision for me personally. But uh. I mean, there's going to be that sponsored by TechPod in the bottom right of that billboard. But, you know, that is what it is. Literally just do it with um, the messages, have a giant QR code that like goes to a link tree with all your social media accounts and like everything you've ever worked on. But yeah. Yeah, they're pretty smart. Do phones even reach that far? Like theoretically, if there was a giant billboard, could I just or do you have to be like really close? I feel like if you if it was just big make enough, the QR code really big. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it was big enough, it'd probably recognize it. Honestly, phones are like scary good with QR. Good, have you right? ever used that Spotify like uh you know party feature? Where, yeah, like, you yeah. can join someone's session. Yeah, yeah. this is so sick. Yeah, and like it it recognizes it like even if like you're like super blurry across like taking a picture or anything like that like it's so, so good at it. Anyways, we digress. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> once again, Joseph, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, an amazing, amazing conversation. And and honestly, we talked about so much. I think we'll have to split this into two different episodes: one on religion and one on kind of politics. <laughs> um, and oh and I'm sure like our users will relate to a lot of the things you said. We'll definitely have to ask you back because if I knew we were going to talk about this one stuff, uh, you know, I would have scheduled this for two recordings because there's still a few questions <laughs> I would love to ask you. Uh, but yeah, thank yeah, you so fine. much for coming on. And Damien, if you have any final thoughts. No, yeah, just uh, where where would you like people to to find you in TechPod? Um, yeah, probably just LinkedIn or Twitter. If you search Joseph Choi on LinkedIn or Twitter, I'm, I'll probably be somewhere there. Cool. Hit him up. He loves his coffee chats. Absolutely. Make sure yeah, to check out yeah. this podcast as well. Yes, sir. The Why Behind X. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration. <laughs>